Well, this morning we're beginning a new sermon series. We have officially ended our Believe series, and this morning we are starting a series that we are uh, calling Making Waves. You know, I think all of us know the power of waves, don't we? Whether it's as we have stood on beaches and the waves come and hit us as we've walked the beachfront, or as we have witnessed devastating waves as we've turned the television on and seen the effects of waves like tsunamis, one of the most powerful waves that have ever struck land, occurred on December the 26th, 2004. It was the result of an earthquake that occurred off the Indonesian coast. And this wave, is to, it is believed to have measured between anywhere between 100 and 150 feet high. And when that tsunami struck land, It destroyed everything in its path for miles inland. It destroyed everything. When that tsunami was said and done, 230,000 people were left dead in 14 different countries. Waves have incredible destructive power. Every single year's waves cause dozens of ships to sink around the world. On two separate occasions, the disciples feared for their very lives as a result of the waves that were crashing in to their boat, as a result of the storm that they were caught in on the Sea of Galilee. Waves can provide for great play for the beachgoer. Waves can be caught and ridden by the surfer. Waves can power entire cities and level entire cities as well. As we begin this new sermon series, I want us to see waves as more than just physical forces within nature. But I want us to see waves that 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 occur in life, spiritual waves that are available for you and I to catch. We our message point this morning is like a powerful wave, God's kingdom is on the move. Do you believe that? Do you believe like a powerful wave, God's kingdom is on the move? Do you believe that God still moves within his creation? And do you believe that God wants you and I as believers to catch these waves in order to be catalysts for change as we seek to impact this world for Christ? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 to begin with, and then later on in the sermon we'll drop down and look at verses 10 and 11. But to begin with, in Acts chapter 17, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 together. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. In verse 6 we read, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men 
who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Three different waves that I want us to see this morning. The first one is this, waves of courage. In verse 6 again we read, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. I don't think there could be any greater compliment that a person could receive than the world ascribing of us or of you that you have turned the world upside down for Jesus. Christ. I mean, think about, I mean, you know, Jason and the rest, they may not have thought at first that that was a compliment, but that is an incredible compliment that they had been given because these men were making an impact for the Lord Jesus Christ within the world that they lived in. Paul and the rest of the apostles were truly making a significant impact on the world. They were making waves wherever they went and people were beginning to take notice of the Christians within the cities. You know, my daughter, um, you've heard me share stories about her often, um, It just comes with the territory of being a pastor that your kids are going to be used as sermon illustrations. But my daughter has the capability when she enters the room to, to, um, everybody knows that she's there. You know, I often refer to her as the Tasmanian devil. Um, if you um, are familiar with the Tasmanian Devil, some of you kids may not be because you didn't grow up watching the greatest cartoons, Looney Tunes, but the Tasmanian Devil was one of those cartoon characters who would um, enter a room spinning like a tornado. And anything and everything that the Tasmanian Devil devil got in proximity of, it was completely destroyed. And that's kind of like my daughter. When she enters a room, everybody takes notice because she destroys everything. I mean, she is one of those girls where we can ask her to clean her room at, let's say, 12 o'clock in the afternoon. We go look at it. looks perfect. By the time she goes to bed in the evening, it's worse than it was when she had to clean it to begin with. Some of you can relate to that. You and I need to make the kind of impact that Paul and the rest of the apostles make. They literally turned the world upside down. The city of Fairview, Lucas, McKinney, and the surrounding cities here, Allen and Wiley and Saxe, Princeton, Farmersville, Branch, all of the cities that are represented in this room should take notice of Friendship Baptist Church. They should know that we exist within this community because wherever we go, we leave an impact. We leave a wave. We leave a dent within the lives of those that we, come, that we have come in proximity of. When Paul and the other apostles entered a city, lives were changed and people were impacted. And we see that in Acts chapter 17 as Paul was ministering in the city of Thessalonica. I think it's so interesting. When you think about Paul and you think about how Paul would first go to the synagogue when he entered a city and he would preach the name of Jesus. He would preach the resurrection of Christ. He would preach in the synagogue first. If you recall, before Paul became a believer, where was it that Paul would go? He would go to the synagogue. 
And as he was going um, into Damascus, he went into Damascus heading to the synagogue with an extradition letter. And the goal was that he was going to go to the synagogue, to the high priest, and he was going to arrest anyone belonging to the wave to the way and bring them back to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 2 we read, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound back to Jerusalem. Now, post-salvation, Paul once again would go to the synagogue. This time, though, instead of going to the synagogue to arrest believers, he went to the synagogue to preach the good news of salvation with those that he came in proximity with. Paul did not go into the dark alleys to preach the gospel. Paul did not go into the cities where he knew that the friendlies would be. Paul went into the most tough place on the planet, the synagogue, and he began there to preach the gospel. As we go back to Acts chapter 17, we see Paul visiting the synagogue in Thessalonica. And in verses 5 through 6 we read, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Within the city of Thessalonica, Paul and Silas was not received very well. They were not received very well there. And so what did they do? They packed up and they went on down the road to Berea. If they would have stayed in Thessalonica, it is very likely that they may have lost their lives. The Lord wasn't ready for them to lose their lives. And so they went on to the next city. And dropping down in our reading this morning, we see in verses 10 through 12, it says the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scripture daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. At Friendship Baptist Church, we have six core values, and these six core values are found in Acts chapter 2. They are the Word of God, fellowship, prayer, generosity, worship, and outreach. The very first core value that we have is the Word of God. The Word of God is the foundation by which we do everything everything at Friendship Baptist Church. We preach from the Word, we live the Word, we hide the Word in our hearts, and we seek to be people of the Word. Within the city of Berea, the people were changed by the Word of God. We see in the latter part of verse 11, they received the Word with all eagerness. I love that. They received the Word with all eagerness. They received the Word Because they were hungry for the word. When you came to church this morning, did you come anticipating hearing a word from the Lord? As you were in your small small groups upstairs, as you've come into this room this morning, have you come in here hungry and thirsty for the word of God? The people in Berea, they were hungry and thirsty for the word of God. There are people outside the doors of this church that are hungry and thirsty for the word of God. And the Lord is looking for people to go to them, to preach to them the good news of salvation or to share with them the good news of salvation. 
You know what kind of person it takes to take the gospel around the world? It takes a person of courage. And every single one of us in this room have been called to be people of courage. You know what it takes to be the kind of person that turns the world upside down? It takes being people of courage. I love this word courage. Courage, if you recall, is what the cowardly lion went seeking in the wizard of Oz. Courage is what the Lord told Joshua to have. In Joshua chapter 1, we read, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I has promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Now man shall be able to stand before you all. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. In verse 6, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. I love this word courage. And the Greek or the, the Hebrew word for courage is a word almots. And it means to be able to face and deal with danger or fear without flinching. To be able to face and deal with danger or fear without flinching. When I was growing up, there was a game that um, my buddies and I would always play. And it was called Made You Flinch. Any of you remember the game Made You Flinch? What you would do, and I know it's twisted, but um, what you would do is you'd go up to your buddy and you would act like you're going to hit him. And if, if they flinched, you, said, you would say, I made you flinch. How many of you did that growing up? It may have just been something that I did. But I made you flinch, and the goal was always to get that person to flinch. What does it mean to be courageous people? It means that we are not going to be people that flinch. Guess what Satan is going to do? Satan is going to hurl his fiery darts our way, trying to make us look weak and trying to get us to flinch. Being people of courage means that we are going to be people like Paul that stood our ground for the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Satan fires those darts our way, we're going to be people that stand strong and armed and dangerous with the gospel of Jesus Christ, prepared to take this land for the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had courage. He was a man that faced so many obstacles in his life. He was stoned and left for dead. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped and received 39 lashes on numerous occasions. He was attacked by angry mobs. He, he had many threats of death that were made against him. He was shipwrecked three times, criticized by other believers. He would be imprisoned for his faith on numerous times as well. And he also received a thorn in his flesh. How did Paul respond to all of these attacks that came his way? In 2 Corinthians 12, we read this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with 
weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Having courage means that we are going to stand in, in, in the midst of the persecution that accompanies the life that we live here on earth. If you and I are going to be people that turn the world upside down, then we need more than just courage. We also need to be people of conviction. So our second point this morning is wave of conviction. And we read in verses 2 and 3 of our focal verse this morning, our passage is this. And Paul went in as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. You know, before Paul became a Christ follower, he was a Christ hater. You know that, right? You realize that. He despised Christ. He despised the church. And he despised anyone that belonged to the way. His hatred led him to be the chief persecutor of the early church. Post-salvation, though, his life was flipped upside down. And not only was his life flipped upside down, but the rest of the apostles' lives were flipped upside down. And those that they came in contact with and proximity with that received the gospel of Jesus Christ, their lives too were flipped upside down. When God's Spirit moves, lives are changed. When God's Spirit moves through us, guess what's going to happen? Our lives are going to be flipped upside down as well as those lives that we come in proximity of. The first church was passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They understood that people's lives depended upon them taking the good news of salvation to them. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, we read, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. How will this world hear the good news of salvation unless we go to them and preach the good news of salvation? The reason that we got on airplanes this summer and went to Ecuador is so that we could introduce people to Jesus Christ. The reason that Connor Torrey got on an airplane and went to Uganda was so that he could introduce people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that David Rush got on an airplane and went to Belize was so that he could introduce people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason that you and I do local missions and try to reach this community and these surrounding communities is so that we can introduce people to the love of Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered what this world would have been like had Paul not accepted the call upon Jesus's life to follow after him? Now, um, one writer wrote this, For more than a century, some scholars have claimed that Paul should be understood as the second founder of Christianity. What they mean is that Christianity is more than just the religion that Jesus preached. It is also the religion that preaches about Jesus. And more than any other person, it was the Apostle Paul who shifted the focus of the religion from the proclamation of Jesus to the proclamation about Jesus. One could, in fact, make a case that without Paul, Christianity, as we know it today, would never 
never have been possible and that the Western world, which continues to be nominally Christian at least, would never have adopted this faith and would have remained firmly committed to the very po- various polytheistic religions of this world. Think about it. Without Paul, we would not have had the 13 epistle letters. Without Paul, the core doctrines that you and I adhere to as Christians may never have been penned. Without Paul, the gospel never would have reached or may not have ever reached Rome. Paul was a man whose convictions drove him to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, the latter part of that verse, he said, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That is conviction. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We should have that very conviction because we understand that the lives of the lost depend upon us going and telling them about Jesus Christ. You may ask, how do you know that? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has given us great commands within his scripture to go into all the world and preach the good news of salvation. We're to go to our Jerusalem, to our Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of this world preaching the good news of salvation to those that we come in contact with. Howard Hendricks said this about conviction. He said a conviction is something that you will die for. Conviction is something you will die for. What kind of life have we been called to as Christians? A life in which we die to ourselves every single day in order to follow Jesus Christ. In 1 John 3.16, we read, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed in truth. This is what love is, that he laid down his life for his brother. Conviction is being willing to take the gospel of Jesus Christ up and, and, and be committed to its advancement up until the point we take our last breath on planet earth. Our third point this morning is this, wave of change. You know, I heard someone once say that ocean waves have a rhythm to them. I haven't spent enough time out on the ocean to know this, but apparently there is a rhythm to ocean waves. And what happens um, at times is there will be one wave that gets out of rhythm. And what that wave will do is it will crash into another wave and absorb the energy from that wave, and it will become um, twice the size that it was to begin with. And this larger wave then will go along the ocean and it will absorb other waves and absorb other waves and absorb other waves until it is what is called a rogue wave out on the ocean. And this rogue wave has the capability to, to destroy anything in its path. Faith family, the church is to be like a powerful wave of influence in this world. When we come together as a body of Christ, we are stronger 
together than we are as individuals. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, we read, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am amongst them. When you and I come together as the body of Christ, we are so much stronger together than we are as individuals. Our second core value at Friendship Baptist Church is fellowship. Fellowship is what you and I are called to. We are called to do life together. We are called to be connected together. We are called to live in community with one another. You and I were not created to be alone. You know that, right? You and I were not created to be alone. Christianity is about community. Christianity is about fellowship. Christianity is about doing life together. When we look at the first church, when we look at the church in Acts, and, and as we read through the different epistle letters that Paul pinned, we see a community that came together daily. For the purpose of breaking bread and fellowshipping and reading God's word and praying and worshiping. And then after they did those things, what did they do? They scattered. They went out and they preached the good news of Jesus Christ. But they came together first so that they could be strengthened. And then they went out as a stronger force as a result of the time that they spent in proximity with one another in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are times when you and I do need to be alone. God's word is full of alone moments that people had with him. Jesus frequently retreated to be alone. The apostles would retreat and be alone. Sometimes you and I need to retreat and be alone and spend time in God's word and praying together. But at other times, we need to come together as a powerful force for the purpose of worship and discipleship and fellowship. The Bible is all about one another moments, one another commands, one another scriptures. In James 5.16, we read, pray for one another. In Hebrews 3.13, we read, exhort one another, encourage one another. In Galatians 6.2, we read, bear one another's burdens. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11, build each other up. In James 5.16, confess our sins to one another. In, the, in Galatians 5.13, serve one another. John 13.34-35, love one another. In Ephesians 5.21, we're called to submit to one another. Submit to God, to the government, to elders, to wives and husbands, children, to parents. We are to submit to one another. In Hebrews 10.24, we see that we are to stir one another up, not to anger, but to love and good works. And in 1 Peter 4.9, we read that we are to show hospitality to one another. When we do life together, when we do life together as a community of believers, then you and I are going to grow stronger together. We're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called to live together in community and do fellowship together. And when we leave this place as one giant force, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit, guess what? This community is going to take notice that Friendship Baptist Church exists 
Not because we boast in ourselves, but because we boast in the Lord and we want to impact this world and this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's be a church and individuals that are committed to catch the wave of courage, to catch the wave of conviction, and to catch the wave of change so that we can turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. You and I have been called to be agents of change. We have been called to impact this world for Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, so you don't know what does it mean to, that I'm supposed to turn the world upside down. Well, you're not going to know what it means to turn the world upside down until your world first has been turned upside down, right? Your world will be turned upside down when you allow Jesus Christ to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins upon you crying out to Jesus to forgive you of those sins and you crying out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You may be here this morning and you don't know Jesus. And I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth with the exception of Jesus Christ, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reason Jesus came to this earth was to provide a way for man to be reconciled again to God. And the only way that your life could ever be reconciled to God is for you to first repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to forgive you of those sins. And according to Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you're here this morning and you have not experienced the salvation of the Lord, then I invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning and the Lord's calling you to join this faith family. And we invite you to come to be a part of this faith family. You may need this morning to just come and kneel at this altar. Parents, you may need to come and kneel at this altar to pray for your children as they begin school tomorrow. Or um, students, you may need to come and kneel at this altar and pray for the Lord to give you the boldness necessary to turn your campus upside down for Christ. You may need to come um, and kneel at this altar if the Lord has placed you in an athletic um, or extracurricular activity students that you know there's going to be a lot of lost people there. You may need to pray that the Lord will give you the boldness that you need to impact this world. Adults, man, you don't begin work tomorrow unless you're a teacher, but you still go to work. And all of us have, have been called to turn our world upside down, even at our places of employment. So you may need to come and pray and ask the Lord to give you the boldness that you need in order to change your, your place of employment for Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray together. And at the conclusion of this prayer, we invite those of you who would to come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being in your house. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, just to be catalysts for change. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord Jesus, um, to, to be able to participate in human history, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be agents of change that have the privilege to take the good news of salvation amongst those that have never heard the name of Jesus or amongst those that, that, that are very um, apprehensive to the word. And Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to go 
Take that word. And Lord Jesus, we pray that wherever we go, that people will receive that word just as they did when Paul went to Berea. And Father God, we just pray now that if there is someone in this place that have yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, Father, we pray that this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make, and that is to cry out to you to be their Lord and Savior. And Father, repent of their sins and receive a new life that comes as a result of us trusting in you. Father, there may be some here that need to come and join this fellowship this morning. We invite them to come as well. Just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning you don't know Jesus, you come. If you're here this morning and the Lord's leading you to join this church, you come. If you need to come and kneel at this altar, you come. You come as, as, as Bill leads us in a time of worship.